good thing uh, this coming holiday season is not canceled. The Golden Girls are coming back for four live stream shows, uh, December 17th through the 20th, Thursday through Sunday. And uh, we're doing two new episodes, and we are, yes, recording them live. You can go to thegoldengirlslive.com for tickets. That is thegoldengirlslive.com for tickets to those four shows and very limited meet and greet tickets. Um, And also the Golden Girls are doing a special drag holiday party called Twas the Night Before Christmas. How about that original title? We are doing it. That is for William Sonoma. Uh, and that's featuring, of course, me, Hecklina, Matthew Martin, Darcy Drollinger, and a whole lot of times. You can get tickets for that at williamssonoma.com slash golden girls. And that is December 10th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So uh, we are there to save Christmas. Get your tickets for William Sonoma and also thegoldengirlslive.com. And thank you for being a friend. Hello, it is Drag Time with Hecklina again. Uh, thank you for listening in and for subscribing to the show, and thanks for the tips. We are loving connecting with you on social media and Facebook, so please keep telling us what you think about each and every episode. If you want to find out more about how to support us, please visit our website, dragtimewithhecklina.com. Now, today we have somebody very special, somebody that I've known for a long, 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 long time. Um, and, uh, well... We've been through a lot, uh, and I'm so excited to talk to them. It is Justin Vivian Bond. Hi, Justin. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Justin is an actor of stage and film, a vocalist, an author, an activist, a visual artist, a performance artist, you know, but before we got on the, uh, the horn today, then I was just thinking about all the, all the memories I have, uh, like just random memories, like hanging out with you in New York city when you lived in Williamsburg Ooh. and remember when you were roommates with Daniel Nardiccio, you were in that, you were in that show with Formica and Sherry. Oh, right, I mean, that Charlie's Angels one. Yeah. Yeah. And you were in town with Timmy Spence. Low, Very, AKA Lois Turd. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and now you are no longer in New York, correct? I still have my apartment in New York, but I'm mostly upstate now because, you know, uh, there's not a whole hell of a lot going on performance wise in the city. I've been up here a lot more recently. And also, FYI, I go by Viv more than Justin now. But really? I'm, yes, darling. I feel so um, out of it. Well, we don't see each other very much, do we? Okay, sounds good. Well, I'm I'm coming to you from Palm Springs, and you are in Hudson Valley? Yeah, in upstate New York. Okay, mm-hmm. well, I used to live in upstate New York. I, I lived as a child in Rochester. Um, are you anywhere close to that? Like 40 minutes south of Albany. Okay. Right, right on the river. Oh, wonderful. Yes, very and, nice. And, that, and, you, and you were saying, so that's a big change for you compared to New York City. Are you enjoying the pace changing a little bit. I'm just asking because my pace has changed and I'm kind of, sometimes I'm okay with it. And sometimes I get stir crazy. Well, you know, I'm a little stir crazy because, uh, I was up here from March until July, really, uh, uh, 
social distancing and I have a I have a, a roommate who rents a room for me but I rarely see him so I mean I live alone and it's not like you can really go out and socialize too much now that it's getting colder but I mean I still go into the city I've been in the city I was there this past weekend so I I I, I have the best of both worlds really for being a single person it's kind of, it kind of feels like I'm the West Coast version of you because I'm here in my house with my cat. You, you're a cat woman. I, I, I have two cats. Yeah. I remember there was a video that you put out of your cat with a snake. Oh, right. Killing a snake. Yes. Yes, she's kill, she, we have a kill cupboard next to the fireplace in the kitchen. And one day I opened it and there was a desiccated bat, a dead snake, and a dead mouse in there. They just slide them under. Wow. They, oh my goodness. Whatever they kill, but it's fine because I'd rather have it in the kill cupboard than have them bring it and put them in my bed. One morning I opened the bedroom door and she was outside of the door with a snake in her teeth and I just shut the door right back up. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, my cat won't, will not even walk outside. He's scared of his own shadow. I'm kind of happy with that. Now, so you, yes, you've been kind of going stir crazy. My but cats don't go outside either. They get those things in the house. When they come in? Those things come in? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I live in the country. Well, so do I. <laughs> I, I have coyotes and uh, lizards right outside. Yeah, well, coyotes don't fit under the door, but snakes do. <laughs> oh, no, honey. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, so during the pandemic, you know, we've all been doing little projects. You have been coming to audiences live on Instagram as Anti-Glam's Happy Hour, um, streaming for free to audiences with an option to support you. Now, uh, I know for a fact this is how Mark ended up drunk on the Internet more than once. Mark, my producer, is Anti-Glam something you'll keep doing throughout the rest of the year, even after COVID goes away? Well, she's a fun character. I started doing her last year uh, for Pride because uh, I just wanted to do something that was different from myself. I had Kiki for all those years, and then I was myself for all those years. And I was like, all these like queens were starting, younger queens wanted to start calling me auntie and everything. And I was like, my niece and nephew can call me auntie because they're... They're in their teens. And these were these queens in their 30s calling me auntie. I was like, I fuck people your age. You can't call me auntie. And so I was like, I have to do something about this. So I created the character of Auntie Glam as a kind of way for me to kind of get comfortable with being a queer elder, but still not really being one myself. Now, how does it feel? I mean, how, how does it? Okay, I was I was talking yesterday on Instagram about going into Target and hearing the Cure coming over the you know the intercom while I'm shopping uh-huh. or whatever. Like sometimes I'll just be like, oh my god, I am old, you know. Plus, I'm living in Palm Springs, so I will say I'll I'll do an addendum to that that I feel I do feel young in Palm Springs. Somebody, <laughs> somebody, somebody called me young man the other day, so there is a reason why I live here. But um, so but, that you can fool people to thinking you're young and that you're a man. Both, exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, yeah, so you're kind of schooling the children. Do you want to tell us about your book, Tango, My Childhood Backwards and in High Heels? Well, that book came out a long time ago, but it did win me uh, the Best Transgender Nonfiction uh, Award from Lambda Literary. It's a book about my, my childhood, I guess. It goes until I'm about 17 years old. Um, 
they call it a trans memoir, but I wasn't thinking about it being a, a memoir about being trans. I was at, it was mostly about my um, affair I had with the neighbor boy from the time I was 11 until I was 16. And at the time I wrote it, I had no idea that, you know, like anyone in my family would ever read it because I was like, they don't have uh, gay bookstores in my hometown. But then the internet happened and now they all know that I was getting rimmed at 11 and I love oh. at 13. But at least I had a good sex life then, uh, considering what it's like now during the COVID times. You, are you being very careful? Kind of, yeah. What, what, where is your hometown? What? It's in Hagerstown, Maryland. It's Western Maryland. Okay. So do you, you and Peaches have a lot in common then? Yeah, she's from Maryland too. You can kind of tell that we have a similar worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're Marylanders. Do you, do you, I mean, you get labeled, like you, you put out a book and it gets labeled a trans memoir. People call you anti. You kind of resist. Uh, people are always trying to label you. Yeah, I don't like people telling me what I am. Because as soon as they do, I'm like, am I? No, I don't think so. I you feel the I same way. It's like a, you're, you're, you're being labeled an elder statesman and being called anti and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's like, why? Well, exactly. Um, and I, I, the thing is, I am everything, but I don't like being limited into being anything. I love that. So uh, that. Do you want to do you want to put an end to a rumor? What, what can you tell us about a possible virtual Kiki and Herb reunion? Well, we did uh, stream our reunion show on uh, the as part of the public theaters. Uh, season this year virtually it was from september 24th and it actually ended last week it was uh the show we did four years ago but um we thought about it we were actually um talking about it but the thing is we haven't performed together really we did one little uh event last year and we haven't performed together in like four years or rehearse. So the idea of a kind of just getting together and doing a show without kind of working together in so long or really having time to rehearse just seems a little strange. Plus, just to be honest, I haven't put on a whole lot of weight during this lockdown, but I'm nervous about whether I fit into those old costumes or not. Right. uh, (laughs) So, I mean, I'm sure I could, but I just don't feel... And then we'd have to do it in a a room with no audience because up here, you're not allowed to have audiences. Well, you can't have... Yeah, you can't do it here either. Yeah, so we... It would be, in one way, like, you know, coming out as Kiki and Herb and discovering there's no audience there. And I said to Kenny, if we ever did it, you know, the opening line would be like, well, Herb, it finally happened. Nobody's here. Yeah, right. <laughs> because that, that's what they kind of expected all those years. And I think it, on one hand, could be fun. But I'd at least want to feel like I knew that we were on top of it. Right. And so I just don't think it's the right time. Sure. Well, so there's some people, believe it or not, who are listening to this who don't know about Kiki and Herb. Can you explain Kiki, Duran, and Herb to the poor, unfortunate people who've not seen one of the shows, this iconic punk cabaret duo well you know how you know i was uh saying to somebody our as you know our friend bambi lake passed away and um kiki was a character i did uh, that i sort of gave birth to in san francisco 
And uh, it was Kiki before it was Kiki and Herb. And uh, part of the reason why I made Kiki was um, Bambi, who is this legendary uh, personality in San Francisco who has, uh, at this point, she's being sainted by many, but there are a lot of people that have conflicting memories about Bambi. And um, (laughs) to put it mildly, I've been receiving some messages in my inbox where people are saying, oh, you know, she threw a bottle at me, all the sort of things that she did. But she said to somebody, and I overheard her saying, oh, well, the only reason anybody thinks Justin Bond is talented is because she's so pretty. Uh huh. And I was like, oh. Oh, really? Once again, I don't like to be stuck into that somebody telling me what I am or what I'm not. So I created this 66-year-old broken-down alcoholic booze hound named Kiki with these saggy boobs. And I went out and started performing as Kiki as this, like, raging, crazy drunk. And when I first started playing Kenny, she actually – I mean, when I first started playing Kiki, she scared Kenny. Kenny was like, oh, because, you know, at that point, I was kind of a more like I would just I was young. I would look glamorous and we do like lounge versions of um, popular songs in clubs around San Francisco. And then um, Kiki and Herb were born on Pride in, I think, 1992 when uh, I had been doing Kiki. But on that Pride I hosted the Festival of Pride and I sang and I had marched and all that stuff. And we had a show at Cafe du Nord that night and I was just kind of hoarse. And I said to Kenny, well, I think I just need to be Kiki because it won't matter if I sound good or not. And so I said, I'm Kiki and you're Herb. And we sat at the this table in the Cafe du Nord and we I said, Kiki drinks Canadian Club and so Herb drink, and Ginger and Herb drinks Canadian club and soda. I think he might've been drinking martinis at the time. But anyway, we started talking to the staff in character and we got on stage and did all of our songs as Kiki and Herb. And we got a standing ovation and I didn't, and I was screaming and not singing like I usually did. And I was like, well, if all I have to do is scream and, um, wear these wrinkles on my face and look like an old hag. I don't even have to worry about looking good or sounding good. And people give us a standing ovation. Let's just keep on doing this for a while. Yeah. And then unfortunately, (laughs) really, I, I, by the time I, I took those wrinkles off, I didn't have to draw them on. Did you feel like you were getting lost in the character sometimes? Yeah, because we did that character until uh, those characters until 2008. Mm -hmm. So that was like 16, 17 years. And, you know, it was fabulous. We played off Broadway. We won all kinds of awards. We played Carnegie Hall twice. We sold it out. We toured all around the world. We played Broadway. We got nominated for a Tony. We did all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I was just like, I'm an artist, you know, I don't want to have to keep doing this one thing for the rest of my life. So I, uh, you know, made the decision sort of in a kind of a spur of the moment that it was time to stop. And we did one more show and that was that. Yeah, you were very uh, you were very entwined kind of with Kenny in a lot of ways. You You were living together. I have a really vivid memory of you telling me. When you first moved to New York, you were living in a basement apartment <laughs> and you got up to use the bathroom and you you were living with Kenny 
and you heard some rustling around going on in the kitchen and you turned the, on the kitchen light and there was a rat staring at you from the garbage can with a chicken bone in its mouth. <laughs> I don't actually remember that. I probably blocked it out. But <laughs> I do I do remember we the first night, and that's probably really did happen, but we moved in to that apartment and I was sleeping on like a sleeping bag on the on the wood floor. Mm-hmm. And I could hear the rats underneath Ugh. the floorboards underneath me. It didn't last very long. I went. I came out in San Francisco that June to do something. And then he came back that September because Sherry and I were doing a show together at the Cowgirl Hall of Fame. And, then, and it was doing pretty well. And then Sherry quit and went to do something else. And I was like, I was kind of upset. But then um, they offered me the night. So I called Kenny and said, well, they're giving us this night here. Do you want to come back to New York and try and make it work? And he did. And that was really when our career really took off. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you kind of, you went through a lot. You uh, pounded the pavement a lot in New York. Uh, you were uh, at, at Squeezebox and you were doing all the shows, the uh, theater couture shows. And, but really, you know, I have to, I, I always say I admire people who leave the comfort of San Francisco and go do the New York thing. And you really did the New York thing and it worked out for you. And, uh, and now here we are many, many years later. And, you know, I, I have memories of you too, uh, hanging out with you in London. You went to live in London for a period of time. Uh, what were you doing there? Well, when I turned 40, I was like, what's the most glamorous thing I could do? Do I want to like have, I wasn't quite ready to have a facelift and I still haven't had one, but I'm hoping to before too long. I'm, I'm going to have to call Jackie and get some tips. But um, Well, why don't you sell shares of your face just like Jackie did? That's, I'm not as good of a business. I'm not a – she's good at uh, – uh, Well, there's a couple different ways to look at that. <laughs> Maybe you're not as desperate or as shameless as Jackie. <laughs> uh, but I was like – because I, I went I, uh, I went over to Bianca's house. You know, Bianca Doria lives here uh-huh. now, and she was going off about Jackie, like selling selling shares of her face. And all this stuff. Well, but, I think our lady more, Jay did that with her boobs. And uh, and uh, didn't David Bowie sell shares of himself? He went on the stock market to sell. Oh, that's very true. That's very true. I mean, uh, I figured that was kind of a lo- part of a long tradition of grifty entertainment. You're very generous. You're very generous. Uh, because <laughs> you are comparing Jackie Beat to David Bowie. So. <laughs> Oh, I always uh-huh. think of those two together. I really do. And also, I, I will say all kinds of horrible things to Jackie, but I want to make sure she can hear it. Of course. Well, I, you know, I no, I admire Jackie. Jackie, I will always say, but but you know, I I always do comment on her Instagram posts, and she knows that I do rib her about this. She is the most shameless, money grubbing whore I know, and uh, but also one of the most talented. Which is a lot coming from you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, because. <laughs> Yeah, because we all know I'm I'm a big money grubber too. Um, but you you're very generous. You don't just end up in Palm Springs as the as the chicken of the season. That's uh, true. That's accident. true. No, it's true. I'm sitting here in this house, and let's face it, it's a lot of eyelashes and wigs that have paid for this house, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of exploiting young queens. So yes, <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> hey, Mark, no. how you doing? <laughs> doing well, thank you. <laughs> so yes, uh, 
You were very generous. You're, and I want to go back to Bambi Lake for a minute. Um, yes, when Bambi died, there was a lot on Facebook and Instagram. And I almost posted th- something. I, I typed something out three or four times. Uh, and then I deleted it. I was like, no. She, Bambi is, you know, for all you want to say about her, Bambi was an amazing part of San Francisco. And whether or not I agreed with some of the things she did, like she pulled a knife on me and she did other things. What did you do to her? Nothing. <laughs> it, it's still, it, it's, it's still, it's, it's still sad when somebody that colorful leaves because uh, San Francisco is turning into kind of this, you know, bland homogenous place so right and the thing is like of course i am not defending anything she did because i know she did some horrible terrible things but also i think you know when even for us we're bambi was 70 so that means she's at least three decades older than me and probably like what five ten years older than you So, so, you know, as as difficult as it was for us Mm -hmm. um, in the 90s, and she was around, you know, she moved to San Francisco in the late 60s. And, and, you know, she was beautiful and young and she was, you know, out as trans in the 70s and living her life with all those punk people. And, you know... She definitely struggled with uh, addiction and mental illness. But when I think of, you know, the trauma uh, that comes just from being trans alone and from being somebody her age and, and, and from her time and somebody who was so, as beautiful as she was, and she really was beautiful when she was young, you know, talking about being exploited and about, you know, her, she was a very, very talented person. And so, you know, you think about what other, you know, women that were as talented as her and how hard it was for, you know, real women in that era. I mean, women that were born women in that era. So, I mean, Bambi, the fact that she, A, lived as long as she did live is a miracle. Uh, And in her last few years, she was pretty much sober and, um, you know, she was truly a very, very talented artist. And the songs that she wrote that I sing always, you know, just really, really move people. And so I, I am glad that people are saying wonderful things about her. And I can also say I was terrified of her. Right. Um, but I personally never... I was always afraid the other shoe was going to drop and she was going to pull a knife on me or something. Yeah. But she never did. I mean, I was playing the great American music hall and, and she walked down in the middle of the concert. She walked down the center aisle and walked up to the edge of the stage and just stood there. And I was like, is she going to like read me? Is she going to shoot me? Right. 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 And I invited her on the stage, and she tried to take that microphone out of my hand, but I did not surrender, Dorothy. I remember. (laughs) I held on to the microphone, but I still did a duet with her. I was at that show. I was at that show, and I thought it was amazing that you always were so generous to Bambi. And, uh, you know, because there was a really, really rough patch there for a while. Mm -hmm. um, And, and, you know... uh, 
you're right. Towards the end of her life, she did come back around and she actually apologized to me for some of the things uh, that she did. <laughs> um, so I have to, but you know what? Like I had a very dear friend. I don't know if you remember Nikki Starr. Uh-huh. Nikki Starr uh, had kind of the same, uh, she was, you know, she was around in the 60s, the 70s, and uh, I, I didn't even know much about her life until Holly Woodlawn came to San Francisco, and they ended up, connect- it turns out they, they were hustlers together in New York back in the 60s, and, and Nikki Starr used to cut uh, Andy Warhol's wigs, and I didn't know any of that history. I mean, that is amazing history that we are just losing. It is um, amazing history, but it also, you know, as it's the way they spun it. And the, and the, the, the things that they accomplished were so exceptional and glamorous, but there was such a flip side to all that. And, you know, the, that, you know, they managed to spin their lives out of smoke and stardust and glitter. And Bambi was, um, so good at that, but it takes its toll. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, let's talk about like, you know, Bambi was an influence on you, obviously, forming the character of Kiki. What are some of your big influences? Obviously, David Bowie. Well, my big influences were mostly female, you know, like I I, I loved when I was young and when I was forming Kiki, for sure. I thought a lot about Diamanda Galas, not that I could sing high the way she did, but I could pretend I could. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was influenced by Marianne Faithful and sort of like the punk rock women. Uh, and then I also really conversely loved all the like folky women, too. So for Kiki, it was a lot of the more like punk and show business, like Eartha Kitt and um, in, like a combination of Eartha Kitt and Diamanda Galas and Marianne Faithful. And then my friend Nancy's mother, who was a big inspiration for that character. But for me, I think it was more of, of the folk people. So that when I finally put out my first solo record, Denderfile in 2011, that was pretty folky. It had a Karen Carpenter song in it. And that was more like uh, the kind of ethereal... You know, I would sing, I, I like the songs that the ethereal women singers did, but I just didn't sound that way, you know? So I adapted it and made it into my own sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess so. And didn't you have a, didn't you have a, a, a memory with Eartha Kitt? Didn't she come to San Francisco one time? Yeah, you- right before I moved to New York. So that would have been May of 1994. So it was right after um, I had just celebrated my 31st birthday. And I had this wonderful boyfriend at the time by the name of Blake Riley. And uh, he, for my birthday, he got us tickets to see Eartha Kitt at Kimball's West in the East Bay. Uh-huh. Is it Kimball's East? Kimball's, Kimball's East, yeah. Kimball's East. Yeah. So he took us to see her at, at, at Kimball's East. And and I was just, uh, ne- I've never been so thrilled as an audience member to see anyone ever in my life. And she came out and opened with I'm Still Here. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And I stood up and gave her a standing ovation. He grabbed me. He grabbed me and pulled me back into my seat and said, calm down. That's just the first number. <laughs> and I was like, because I was thinking, what the hell is wrong with these people? Why am I the only one standing up? And so afterward, he had, he was a 
or maybe still is a uh, graphic designer. And he made this beautiful uh, engraved invitation and brought one perfect lavender rose and sent it backstage to her, inviting her to go out for drinks with us after the show. So we waited in line. And uh, when it was our turn, I was kind of like flustered because I was so starstruck. And he was having this nice conversation with her. She thought the rose was beautiful. And it was so it was just this perfect open one rose. It wasn't like, you know, like it's nice to get flowers when you're a show person. But if, if you're if you're gigging, you don't want to take a big bouquet of flowers home or carry it around with you. So anyway, it was kind of perfect. And um, so I just was like, what am I going to say to her? And so I said, um, I just want to thank you because I, I remember seeing you on TV talking about everything that happened with Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson. And you always uh, have been a person who really takes a stand on things. And, and I learned a great life lesson from you, which is that it's possible to be both glamorous and political. And she was impressed by that. And I guess she looked, you know, she looked happy that I said that or whatever. And um, so she said, well, she couldn't go out for drinks that night. But if we wanted to, we could take her out for lunch the following day. Oh, wow. So, so we did. And then we said, yes, of course. And she said uh, she would call us the next morning. So I gave her my number thinking, you know, she'd never call. And we were so keyed up. We went out and got drunk. And the next day we're in bed. And that's when I was living with Lee Crow, Elvis Herselvis, and all these people in the upper hate. And we're in bed, like hung over. And David Hawken was my roommate too. And he knocked on the door. And I was like, what? And uh, he said, well, um, just he was all like a dither. And he said, I, I, I just need to tell you that. Where's the kid is on the phone? Where's the kid is on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hopped up out of bed like, you know, oh, my God. And so I went and I talked to her. And she said she wanted us to take her to Trader Vicks uh-huh. for lunch, but her friend had just been through a divorce and she lived near Mill Valley in Marin. And could we pick her up? And in order to pick her up, we had to take, we had to pick up another guy who could drive us to her, show us how to get to her house. So we really needed to take her and her two friends out to lunch. We were like, uh, okay. And of course, neither of us really had any money. And I was saving up my money to move to New York. But we went and drove and picked up this old queen from his house in Mill Valley. And then we drove up into the hills and picked up this woman named Christabel. And then we went and picked up Eartha and Trader Vicks was closed. So we ended up taking all three of them out to lunch at Chez Panisse. Oh, nice. (laughs) And it's like, I think our lunch cost like, I think $500 and we each paid $250. And I was like, that was a fortune at the time. But I thought, you know what? She was so incredible. And I learned so much from her over that lunch about, you know, show business. And I said, oh, who's your manager? I don't have a manager. I have a lawyer. My daughter, Kit, I don't have a ma-. Like, she was telling me about show business. And I learned so much. It was like, uh, really, a master class. And just she talked about 
Hollywood in the 50s and when Nat King Cole got his first TV show and how all the African-American entertainers and people would fly in on their own dime to L.A. to be guests on his show because it was just so important right? his show be a hit for their people. And um, just like amazing stories like that and about going on a cruise with Jane Russell and they were, they were like, how's Jane? Her friend Christabel said, oh, I spoke to Jane the other week. She wants to go on a cruise. And then, they, <laughs> then the guy talks about how he spent the night at Jane's and Jane crawled in bed with him. And, you know, he's like, where's your husband? Oh, he's asleep in the other room. And all this stuff. And they're like, Jane, Jane, Jane. And she leans over and whispers in my ear. Jane Russell. <laughs> like, oh, in case I didn't know what Jane they were talking about. Right, she was right. She fed me mango. It was, a, it was Wow. That's I, amazing. I adored her. It was one of the best days of my life, really. Yeah, I, I have a wonderful memory of seeing her at the Fairmount in that little that little room that they had, and she was incredible. Then I then I saw her, I did see her years later at Fillmore East, and uh, I was a huge fan. So, yes, I just love any story I can get with Eartha Kitt. Yes, honey. Shifting gears a little, the music video for Golden Age of Hustlers. It featured, all, the video featured um, Nathan and Kate Bornstein, Flotilla DeBarge. And uh, so that's, that's a great way of keeping Bambi's memory alive. Right. And Silas uh, directed it. Silas Howard. Yes, Silas Howard directed it. And then he did, directed that great documentary about Bambi after that. Ooh, so, I, didn't, I didn't hear about this. Yes, uh, he did this great documentary. So, you know, it helped introduce a new audience. And it's fun because that's another thing, reading all the tributes to Bambi from people that, you know, never really knew her. It's kind of fabulous and kind of funny too. Like goddess, legend, and then I get these messages. Well, she did this and she did that. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure she did. Well, can I tell you? Yeah, I, I mean, like I told you, I I, try, I typed because I was I started to get mad at the people who did not know her, who was like goddess, legend, <laughs> and, and then I was typing and I was like, no, I don't need to do this. I've already I've already said that a couple times, but I started getting text messages from other people like. Hey, have you ever? It was like a uh, Bambi uh, trauma, like uh, kind of <laughs> right. like group, you know. Like I was like people, like hey, uh, you know, I'm kind of bothered by all these, uh, you know, compliments on because she drew a knife on me. So I guess I wasn't the only one. You know? Oh no, you certainly were not. Yeah, I was texting with Veronica the other day after uh -huh. after she died because Veronica doesn't live too far from here even though we don't see each other very often right but she was saying the last time she saw Bambi she cooked dinner for her, and they had this really great conversation and they had a beautiful evening together and um, Veronica sent her you know home with leftovers and it was such a nice kind of night she said but of course the time I saw her before that, she threw a bottle at my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had I've had friends like friends like always. He was like, "Yeah, I was in a bar, and she told me she had a gun in her purse, and she was going to blow me away." And I was like, "Yeah, it sounds like a Bambi story." Yeah, people that uh, got hit in the head with shoes. You know, how many plate glass windows did she break? And, and she threw her yeah. out. 
She threw a sandwich at me. She was 86 from uh, the stud for a while. 86. She was 86 at a lot of places. And, well, she and, uh, yeah. called in that bomb threat. The funny thing about oh, that, that was an amazing story. Threat. Yeah, mm-hmm. she. I was living with Daniel Nardiccio in the mid 90s. And Bambi called me to tell me that story. She's like, you got to put this story in your show. She called a bomb threat uh, because of those boys from Oasis, wasn't it? Yeah, she got invited by those boys from Oasis to go to the Rolling Stones after party. And, um, and it was the next night and she didn't know how to get in touch with them. So she called them up. So she called up the party where the, she called up where the party was supposed to be. And she said that she was Charlotte Rampling mm-hmm. and that she wanted, she wanted to get put on the guest list plus one. And then she showed up at, I think it was at the red room, which is where the party was. And, um, she said that she was Charlotte Rampling's plus one, but they wouldn't let her into the party. So she freaked out and went off, you know, like, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? And they were like, no, we don't know who you are. Whatever. So she went back to wherever it was she was staying and she called in a bomb threat on the Rolling Stones after party. Right. But of course, they could trace where she was calling from right. for the 911 thing. So they went and they arrested her. But she said the great part was in order to get to the jail from wherever it was she was staying, they had to drive by the Red Room. So she said she 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 was in the police car and she saw all the people out on the street while they were like making sure the place didn't have a bomb. So she was like, don't you know who I am? I'm Barry Lake. Fuck you. Oh my God. I love that. She was so proud of herself when she called me up. And so she told me I needed to tell that story when I was introducing the song Charlotte Rampling on the line because uh, that was the story that went with it. So when I would do that show as Ke- that song in my show as Kiki, I would always tell Bambi's story. So you know, the, I think the reason why she was she said, "Oh, you know, I, I'll never be mean to you because you made me famous." That's what because I mean. I, you, you, you were always so generous with keeping Bambi keeping Bambi's legend alive. And I well, do. I sang those yeah. songs, and the yeah. songs were beautiful, and and I was so grateful to have those songs. I mean. And to sing those songs, and they affected people. And if Bambi had not been mentally ill, if she had been able to, you know, live a life where she could even handle. I mean, the thing was, when when she would start to get a little success or things would start going her way, it would trigger her mania. And then she would just go nuts. It was like impossible. It was like some sort of like uh, Greek mythological curse where all she wanted was to be like famous and appreciated for her talent. And yet as soon as it became possible that that became within sight, her mania would take over so that it's her, she could never achieve the one thing that she wanted most of all, which was that kind of validation that she felt would come from fame. And so it's, it's like a, it's so tragic because anybody that, you know, whatever she may have done, but anybody knows that like, as soon as she would get a show or like when her book came out, when everybody was ready to celebrate oh, her, yeah, she, she, she had her reading at a different light, and she just took that opportunity to literally read everybody that was in the room. 
right? Like, or, you or, get yeah. this to me, and you get that to me. And she like she just lost her mind at her book reading and alienated every single person in the room. Or the time that she was supposed to have a big show at Josie's Cabaret, and she didn't show. She didn't go. Like it was it was Bambi like. It was it was her big solo show. Actually, she finally showed up with um, because some some guy had bought her an expensive coat, so she went out drinking while she was supposed to be at her show, and you know, just all this stuff. She was shopping. Yeah, she was shopping. <laughs> she was shopping. This guy offered to take her shopping. She's like, "Oh well, I have a show. Well, well, let's just go shopping first. I'll, I'll get an outfit for the show, and then you know, she showed up in her new outfit, and everybody had already left." Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, nobody liked her. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh God. And just just an aside. Uh, uh, what a cool reference to drop to try and get your name into a guest list, Charlotte Rampling. It's like I a- know with that she had exquisite taste. Yeah, in things to drop. Yeah, exactly. She really did have wonderful <laughs> taste in music, and I mean, you really could learn a lot from Bambi when she was just sitting and talking. I mean, when we used to play at the Raz Room, she would come, and you know, and I would I would always be a little scared but i'd always put a ticket aside for her for her and she was always completely humble and quiet and and you know and those times she wasn't drinking and we'd sit outside afterward and she would just tell us stories and sing little snippets of Joni mitchell songs for us because uh, you know she really really loved music and um, she wrote some great songs Francisco long ago I made my living hooking on Oak Street and the old black rose my eyes were always looking for some dumb man to pay my rent and some young man to love me and so many Well I have I have about 10 more Bambi memories that I could talk about but I probably shouldn't but they're they're all hilarious and classic, actually. Right, I'm sure. Well, do tell, you know. Well, just the one where she uh, pretended to be Vanessa Paradis, you know, Johnny Depp's uh, wife. And she called Vivian Westwood and um, said that they were going to name their baby Vivian. And, and, <laughs> and, and would she please call them back? And then she had a recording of Vivian Westwood on her answering machine uh, calling back, saying, oh, my God, I'm so honored that you're going to name your baby after me. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, Bambi Lake would have been a match for Johnny Depp. Uh-oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a match made in hell. She should have been with Johnny Depp, damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, and she's not as crazy as Vivian Westwood. Exactly. Here's the thing. Somebody said if Vivian Westwood hadn't met Malcolm McLaren, she would have just ended up being some sort of like, he, he kind of guided her genius. And she's always had, you know, she's a genius, but she's a mad genius like Bambi. But she had people to sort of protect her and focus her genius. And she somehow managed to like, but if you to get through and become a success because she was taken care of in a way that Bambi wasn't, I mean, I'm not saying that they had the same kind of uh, whatever symptoms, but, <laughs> <laughs> but Vivian's definitely a, a, a legendary kook in the same sort of wonderful way that in the positive ways that Bambi was. Well, that's also the, where the name Tranny Shack came from was when Bambi... Ruby Tuesday, Miss Chocolate, and Pippi, 
They all lived in the same lower hate apartment in this dank basement apartment that was like shrouded in cigarette smoke. And um, and whenever I'd go over there, I'd say, oh, I'm going over to the tranny shack to visit Pippi. And uh, and then when I decided to start a nightclub, I just took that name. So um, but that's when Bambi was kind of going psychotic and she was, you know, getting her outfits together to go on Letterman. And she would come into chalk. She would come into Miss Chocolate's room and say, hey, which dress should I wear on Letterman tomorrow night? And, you know, so she was pretty out there at that point. Yeah. Oh, gosh. This is turning into the Bambi uh, podcast. I kind of love that. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, Yeah, no, it's great. But more importantly, and this is very important because we're because we're getting to the end of the podcast. What is your favorite memory of Heclina? Who? I know. Complete silence. <laughs> complete silence. Totally. <laughs> My favorite memory of Heclina. Now, that is really hard to... Uh, it's hard to say because, of course, I knew... I mean, I remember you at the... When you sort of made your debut in... Um, the Miss Uranus contest. Oh my God. Because I remember at that point you were dating Jason from Enrique. You were like the rock star's girlfriend. Exactly. And they, <laughs> and they, they you, you came out as Heclina and you sang, what did you sing in Icelandic? Do you know the way to San Jose? Yeah. in Icelandic and you handed the judges cans of creamed corn. That's right. And actually, I don't. I don't think you've done anything better than that. <laughs> I, I think right. you, you really never talked to your very first performance. And Betty Pearl won that year by sticking a carrot up her butt. Right. And how ironic is that when you think of all the things you stuck up in your butt? You could have stuck one of those cans of cream corn up your butt and given her a run for her money. But you know what? She had that that gerbil or whatever it was. Right, right. You couldn't compete with her animal act. Oh, God. (laughs) But that was a good memory. And then I really did have so much fun when you and Timmy came to New York. That was fun. Sort of running around the city. And I just always have so much fun. When anytime I'm on stage with you, that's uh, that's those nights that we get on stage and just like ramble and read each other and just like say the most god awful things you could imagine possible to say in front of an audience. And people would say, Shut up and get on with the show. <laughs> and we would just think, I mean, thank god they didn't have phones then because we would be. We canceled. would canceled. We would be canceled. We would be so canceled because we basically, in those days, would just think of like the most horrible, rotten thing you could possibly think of to say and try to shock each other with it. The most and offensive, it, yeah, the most offensive thing you could possibly say. Vile, vile. Yeah, horrible. yeah, yeah. And um, and that was you know kind of a, a game. Yeah, <laughs> we were pretty good at it. But uh, I, I'm glad we don't talk that way anymore. <laughs> well, I'm glad, yeah, never, never. And actually, yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of things I don't need to have uh, released onto the internet um, now that I am a woman of some respectability. So you're right. Um, well, Justin, uh, I mean, sorry, Viv, it's, uh-huh. been, it's been so wonderful to talk to you. Is there anything else you would like to promote? Well, I'm going to be doing... Um, a Christmas show, a holiday show, 
uh, I almost say Christmas, but it's usually solstice a little bit more witchy. But uh, my band and I are going to do, we're going to film it at Joe's Pub the first week in December. So sometime toward the middle of end of December, we're going to be streaming uh, a holiday show called Oh Mary. Oh, I love it. I love the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I decided today to call it Oh Mary because Oh Mary, this yeah. world. So we can't even have an audience. No, so yeah. I'm going to do it's going to be a tribute to all the Marys. Oh, I love that. Mary and Faithful. Mary of Magdalene. Mary, <laughs> the Mother of God. Merry Christmas. Mary Tyler Moore. I love you it. You know, all the Marys. Okay, okay. Now, and that, uh, people can keep up with you uh, at justinvivianbond.com. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And, and what are your socials? Mixviv, M-X-V-I-V on Instagram. And uh, I, I'm on Twitter, but I really couldn't care less. I don't really look at it. Twitter's oh, boring to me. That's so funny because you were so, you're who I studied on Twitter. Did you know that? Really? Uh, yeah, I was having a social, I had a social media kind of like tutor and, and, and they we, we were studying your Twitter and, and they were like, yeah, this person really gets it and does it well. And I was I like, I did oh. get it. I just got bored with it. Once Instagram started, I was like, pictures. I what? know. It's a I, lot got, of, yeah. I actually wrote a book. I mean, I did a book with my friend Gina Guerin called um, This is Blythe. It was, uh, and she had me, or no, it was Susie Sad Eyes. It was this, these pictures of this doll. She's like, will you write the book? Oh, write the, I remember that. So I, did, I just went through my um, Instagram account and just. Life. No, she did Blythe, but then she did this other doll called Susie Sad Eyes, which mm -hmm. was this like goth looking doll. Uh, okay. mm -hmm. And she wanted lines that's to go with the pictures. So at that time, I just went through and mined all of my uh, tweets and I just turned those tweets into the text for the book. And then I never really got into tweeting again for some reason. I just lost interest but i just think twitter's so boring it is boring it is boring but i love gina i've worked with gina a lot she uh manages drag queens now yeah she's fabulous we were yeah. just texting today she was gonna try and come up this weekend i've known her since you know probably when i was living with daniel nardici in the 90s i met her on the beach at fire island back in the day oh well she was at oasis uh before everything went down she was with um the velours Sasha. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Hecklina. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, like us, rate us, and please tell anybody you can about Drag Time with Hecklina. Thank you, Viv, for Thank joining you, us. Hecklina. I hope we get to be on stage together soon. I, my hope is it'll all start to come together slowly. It's not going to be overnight, but hopefully uh, in 2021, we'll uh, slowly get back up on those stages. And tell all those L.A. bitches I said hello. Oh, I will. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Bambi Lake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Oh, Mary. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. That's it for now. In San Francisco, long ago, I made my living hooking on Polk Street and the old black rose. My eye was always looking for some dumb man to pay my rent and some young man to love me with so many 
heaven said I'd thank the stars above me Sticks and stones can break my bones But names can never hurt me The queens and the hustlers of the red light zones Never did desert me They drift up from the grub stake Where I shared so many cheeseburgers With my hustler Husbands In the olden days The golden age of hustlers Destroyed by drugs and prostitution Pretty queens on the corners And midnight cowboys in the doorways If you want it, daddy, get it here It's a candy store in more ways than one Sticks and stones can break my bones But names can never hurt the red light zones never did desert me golden girls and boys are must like chimney sweepers come to dust it's hard to find someone you can trust amidst the In the 
of her slang.